0: Welcome Closers. Today, we have another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast coming at you. Season one, focused on marketing. I'm your host, Jordan Moyla, and every week I interview world-class property management entrepreneurs and industry experts who share actionable insights to help you grow your property management empire. Whether you manage a hundred or a thousand doors, this is the show that's going to help you see the big picture and get to the next level. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Sweet Sun Tzu, the art of war. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Today, I am talking with my good friend Ryan Malden. Ryan and I have had a relationship for probably close to a decade now. This guy is my paisano, a fellow entrepreneur. Hustler extraordinaire. And the reason we're talking to Ryan today is because Ryan has a deep background in branding design conversion seo sem everything that is required to build a robust online presence and that stems from the fact that ryan runs a traditional media agency with a little bit of a specific focus ryan thanks for coming on Uh, give us some background on what you do with your work with vici media group
1: yeah absolutely Uh, jordan thanks for having me man uh, V2 Media Group is a full service, digital focused agency. So we' are a creative agency we do uh, graphic design, branding, web development, online advertising, uh, online communications, uh, social media management. Uh, anything that you would need to operate an online marketing operation for a small business and nonprofit or uh, a lot of our client base is political. Uh, we can take that and, uh, and run with it for you. That encompasses, for some clients, uh, uh, small bits and pieces filling in for the, what their in-house team does not have. For other people, we are them online. So uh, we have clients that uh, everything you see from their logo down to their social posts, their websites, their ads, everything, we, uh, uh, we do uh, the entire thing top to bottom. So it depends a little bit on the client, but uh, we're a full-service agency.
0: Ryan, here's where I got you on the podcast. My real motivation here is to talk to you from the position of representing the small business provider. So if I came to you knowing that I have a small property management firm, I'm managing 200 doors, maybe 300 doors. I'm really trying to grow my company, but I'm not deep into online marketing. I'm not deep into uh, social SEM, SEO, all of this stuff is foreign to me. I just know that I want to grow. And where my tendency might be to take the conversation is on where I'm going to get more leads, where I'm going to be able to generate more referrals, et cetera. If I came to you with a growth problem, where would you start that conversation?
1: You know, we start every conversation with every client with a deep dive into the overall goals and strategy of the company itself. So we, we don't start with the digital portion because we want to make sure that anything that we do, any services we provide and the, and the money you pay us actually goes to accomplishing your overall business goals. And uh, we started that um, probably a year or two after I started the agency. I realized that uh, we would have a couple clients and after a couple months of doing a project, uh, they would say, well, I didn't get the results I wanted. I said, so, well, you know, what, what result were you looking for? And they would tell me, and I said, well, you know, it's not what you told me at the beginning. We really need to start from a strategic level, understanding the business goals. So we always start with where you actually want to go. Uh, what does growth look like for you? What does your target client look like for you? Uh, and then from there, we try to drill into it, what can we do to help you accomplish that online, whether that's uh, increasing a particular portion of your funnel yeah, qualifying more leads uh, uh, or moving those uh, qualified leads into uh, opportunities through ongoing uh, drip marketing, yeah, whether that's uh, establishing a, a brand because you have no brand at all online. We'll look at that on a case-by-case basis, but it's got to fit your overall uh, business goals. We start always from a strategic standpoint.
0: So, man, let's say my goal is just growth. I'm just trying to get more doors. I want to get more owners ringing my phone so that I can manage their properties. What do I do?
1: Uh, You know, it starts by uh, looking at who converts for you in the past for your particular set of skills for your, uh, your market advantages. Uh, Who does that, uh, who does that convert? What is your, your demographic look like? We'll try to profile that and then go find more of those people online uh, if we can get those through organic, yeah, if there's, uh, if there are available pools that we can, uh, we could go after and try to target, we'll do that. If it's got to be paid for, uh, through search engine marketing, through uh, social advertisements, uh, Facebook is uh, particularly powerful. LinkedIn can be as well because you can target people by their, uh, uh, their job title, uh, which you, through third party data you can as well on Facebook then uh, we we try to to, uh, first identify the pockets of available new people uh, and then start testing creatives uh, against some of those. We'll test LinkedIn. We'll test uh, Twitter. We'll test Facebook. We'll test search engine marketing. And then the great thing about digital marketing is you can get near real-time results uh, on most of those platforms. And day-to-day, we can change the types of creatives, the type of advertisement, uh, and, uh, and optimize your spend a lot faster. old cell uh, media, which still can be effective in, in some places, radio, TV, things like that, mail, uh, you typically have a couple week to a couple month turnarounds on, uh, on your data. So you don't know if something you're spending money on is working or not. In digital, we can do that, depending on the platform, sometimes to the minute uh, and make changes on an ongoing basis. So it's a highly efficient use of, uh, of dollars, overall it's uh you're going to have this ongoing process of testing once you identify potential market segments you're you're never one and done uh it's always uh iterates get metrics uh analyzes metrics iterate again and you have this constant feedback loop uh that you're looking for if it's pure growth you're looking to identify your your potential audience and then uh start to, uh, start a conversation with them
0: Talk me through where you would start if you were in the shoes of a brand new business owner. You are effectively broke. You got a lot of hustle in your bank account, but not a lot of capital to spend. You mentioned all these different options, pay-per-click, SEO, social. You can do all this stuff, but there's limited time and resources. If you were starting on day one, where would you start if you didn't have much money to spend? What do you think you would do to generate new clients as a property manager?
1: Seth Godin has a concept called the purple cow, uh, where he says, uh, if you're, if, he tells the story, if you're driving through the English countryside, or let's just say the Texas countryside where I'm from, and you see a bunch of cows, see a bunch of longhorns on the side, and they're brown and white, and uh, you're kind of used to seeing those, and all of a sudden you see a purple cow, it's going to catch your attention. Especially uh, starting out, you're hustling, you don't have the ad dollars to spend, try to be the purple cow. Try to find a way to stand out uh, in a way that people can't ignore you. Um, So an example of that in marketing with a a scrappy startup is like the Dollar Shave Club. Um, I imagine that most of us have seen the ads uh, that were published initially, I believe, on Facebook, certainly online, um, from Dollar Shave Club. They became you know, as far as the uh, internet timelines go, virtually instantaneously famous for these off the wall commercials that were relatively cheap compared to the amount of exposure they got uh, because they were original, they were unique. Uh, they had a lot of personality behind them and uh, and they conveyed a, uh, a great fun brand message that was backed up by a decent product. Uh, and you got, you, you tried it. I tried Dollar Shape Club. I know at least a you know, half dozen of my friends signed up. Whether you continue or not, you tried it because it was so unique and so interesting. And it spoke to uh, a lot of the experience you had. Uh, they got tens and tens of millions of views off of a, a single ad spot. So, which was uh, like literally penny, pennies on the dollar compared to traditional media. So, try to uh, find a way to stand out. Do something different than what everybody else is doing uh, and find a way to to tell that story in a way that other people want to share it and want to talk about you.
0: I hear you, but man, I'm still stuck. My new company, my property management company, Muela Property Management, here's my tagline. We're number one. And uh, I've got a list of services we provide I don't want to pay for a professional photographer, so I've got a, you know, some stock pictures on my website, basic service description, you know, insert service business in any industry. The specifics don't really matter, but that's where I'm coming from. How do I have a purple cow moment? How do I have a purple cow thought to go from name plus service? as effectively my brand into into doing that man can you can you just help me work through that
1: one particular way a a great platform that you have to work with which costs almost nothing is pick up your uh, smartphone i uh, turn on the camera and turn on facebook live i uh, start talking to your potential audience yeah that's uh, automatically recorded stored online in a highly available shareable format it's very personal uh, the, uh, uh, some of the large operations that we were a part of in this past year uh, showed incredible returns on the vertical video format that Facebook Live uses, especially from a smartphone, um, uh, because it's so engaging with the face. People love to interact with other humans, and Facebook Live, especially just uh, videotaping yourself, gives you that sort of raw, intimate, personal connection, and you can talk directly to people. Um, That gives you a a great platform, it uh, it stores it for you, It makes it easily shareable and it makes it accessible in a way not just uh, digitally accessible but personally accessible. Uh, It makes it, it gives you a format that you can talk directly to people, grab those links and start emailing people, start emailing prospects that you found, uh, found online through list brokers or through LinkedIn mining, through Twitter mining, through Facebook mining. Um, yeah, and that gives you a great outreach. Um, another uh, way to do that through outreach in, in a digital space is to use an approach that uh, Noah Kagan used when he was starting uh, some of his operations, or, or excuse me, a, a story that he tells about somebody reaching out to him. He's all, his email program is actually really fantastic and really original as well. I highly recommend you sign up for uh, the AppSumo sumo Email list that's a p p s u m o.com. Uh, regardless of whether you actually use any of the services, it's a brilliant, brilliant email marketing system uh, that they use. They've, they've really honed uh, their content uh, really well, and you find yourself reading it all the time, regardless of whether or not you actually uh, buy the, the service. So, learn from his, uh, his really personalized, really uh, fantastic copy. Uh, copywriting, and start uh, start email outreach. Email is basically free. You have your time. Go do data mining. There's a ton of data available on LinkedIn. Ton of available data for relatively cheap through third-party data services, where you can go and and say, I want to find people who own a second property that is not their residence or third property, et cetera. Um, in this particular metro area that's of this size and this uh, this value, you can look for multifamily homes, non-resident owners. All of that's relatively available and cheap, and uh, I started an ongoing um, uh, outreach program to uh, people like that. You can also target those online for literally starting with $5 on Facebook. Uh, you can upload that data set and uh and micro target adds to it it's uh, it's the most effective cost effective way even starting up with not much money.
0: Could you give me any names of uh, any places that uh, some listeners could go to to purchase data
1: even before purchasing I would start with data mining on Facebook and on LinkedIn because uh, there's a ton of available data there reachmarketing.com uh, it has uh, uh, has a list uh, Borelli direct the um, AccuList, list strategic lists uh, there are actually quite a few of these Experian has a, uh, has a list as well like many kinds of data sets or the, the different platforms we were talking about I'd recommend also testing different lists for their uh, uh, for their accuracy for your particular data segment so start with a small list uh, small acquisition from that test it see if it works well for you before buying a million names, you're not going to find that many. But always test, always start small.
0: So I want to go back to the data because they say data is the future and I see the opportunity here, but I want to connect the dots on on how you nurture these relationships over time. But before we do that, the thing that you mentioned about, you know, I put you on the spot. I said, what would you do? And your response was reach into your pocket, pull out the phone, hit record. Well, the objection that follows that was, well, I don't know what to say. And the response to that is to document, not create by focus on documenting what is what you are doing by lowering the bar and taking on a service based perspective rather than a performance based narrative around your content creation. I think that's the right mindset. Gary V talks about that. I think it's spot on because the anxiety that you can induce as a result of thinking that every bit of content has to be highly polished, highly curated, highly edited. It basically creates a wall and a barrier that most people cannot get past because whether that mean hiring a film crew or whether that mean having your personal rendition even holding you know on in front of your webcam be so well curated people just won't do it so i love that guys take that away from this conversation pure gold take ryan's advice start doing content creation document don't create Creating content at volume, at scale. I know that's something that you have some experience and some background with. Talk to me about the opportunity that social represents. And when I say social, that can mean a lot of different things. So kind of parse out the opportunity with social for small businesses specifically.
1: Yeah, um, No, and I, and I would reiterate what you just said, too, about uh, being afraid or not being afraid of the uh, perceived quality. There is actually a, an inverse relationship between engagement and quality, uh, sort of a reverse bell curve, where your best engagement in our testing online – and we've, we've worked with some very large brands uh, and very large personalities uh, on, on a national level – Uh, and seen this borne out over and over and over again, you don't want to go in the middle. You don't want to try and get something that's too too overwrought for your budget. Go simple, go raw, go authentic, or go all the way and get a full-on professional production. Don't try to go in between. So uh, do something really nice, or pick up your iPhone and record yourself and don't worry about uh, post-production. Don't worry about stuff in between, uh, in between the raw stuff, the more authentic stuff. Um, frankly, sometimes the ugly stuff actually performs better than trying to get something kind of middling uh, because you'll, you'll usually step over yourself and people won't relate to you as much.
0: Totally. It makes sense. I mean that, the odd thing is that that is the pro-tactic right now, right? If you go on YouTube and you look at the Grant Cardone's, the Gary Vayner trucks, et cetera, there is definitely a subset of their content that is clearly highly polished, highly produced, but there are also plenty of videos of them driving in their car with an iPhone strapped to their dashboard doing regular videos. If they're doing it, if it makes sense for them, why as a small business owner, would you place a higher burden than that on your back? I think it goes back to, I don't know what to say. And this is where where people have to embrace the fact that you have to have an opinion in business, you simply have to have opinions about what you're doing, the services you're providing. And if you don't, if you want to be Acme, why are you in business in the first place? Maybe the answer is that you don't want to have a job and you, would, you thought this was an easier out. Well, the reality is it's probably not. If you're in this for the long haul, you have to have some strong opinions. And those are the things that people can actually respond to. I know you and I both have had hours of, of back and forth dialogue about the things that we believe about our business. Our respective industries, how to operate, how to execute, cultivating opinions is a byproduct of educating yourself, reading, listening to podcasts, etc. I think that's what develops the the well refined mind that then puts yourself in a position to actually have something interesting to say. If that is your hang up,
1: yeah, absolutely. And uh, and and frankly, a lot of that's developed over time. Both your ability to to develop those opinions and your ability to express them. Uh, It happens with practice, so uh, if you wait to express those until you have the absolute perfect opinion on everything, you'll, you'll, number one, never express them, and number two, you won't be very good at it once you do get that good opinion. Most of the time, by the time somebody discovers you on social, they don't want to see just one video. They want to see that you have a history of talking about the ideas that matter to you and, and the areas of your expertise. If they go online and say, "Oh, this is fantastic! I see this uh, this video that I'm I'm drawn into uh, this message that somebody put out. They were recording on their iPhone about you, know, you were walking up to door to go service uh, uh, service a house maybe that you're you're managing," um, and then they click on your profile, and that's the only video you've ever posted. Uh, it's sort of a it's sort of a letdown, uh, and you uh, that initial reaction saying, "Well, hey, maybe this guy's uh, a Sky or Gal is a uh, an expert in their field is suddenly cut short. You're like cutting yourself off at the knees. So uh, you create that backlog, create that history, that repetitive track record of solid uh, solid information that you're providing and documenting what you're doing because it uh, it builds trust and also builds a sense of relationship with people before you even get to reach out to them. So by the time they call you, they already feel like they know you. That's why that we're getting into ideas of inbound traffic at that point. But uh, But if somebody goes through and watches 10 of your videos, by the time they actually talk to you and they're a qualified lead, They're already going to be half the way down the sales funnel because you've convinced them through 10 other videos that are always there and always
0: working for you. You're talking about irrational brand bias. You're talking about the phenomenon of somebody coming up to you and feeling like you're a friend. They have a relationship, even though this person is a stranger, because they saw you online corollary to what you said before. I think about that quote from Reed Hoffman. If you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you've launched too late. I think about that myself. the fir- The first videos of me online, the first blog posts, et cetera, It's embarrassing. You know, I, I look back and those things would. Let me reframe that. Those things would be embarrassing to me if they were being sent out to my list now. It's not embarrassing because I understand the historicity of context and how that that's the natural progression of things. But I think that's the way that it should be. You've you got to work out the kinks. And the only way to do that is to, to practice. And as they say, uh, good judgment comes from bad judgment, right? You got to make the mistakes to be able to actually get to the point where you want to get.
1: Oh, absolutely. And uh, even beyond uh, messaging about what you're doing, I wouldn't tire myself when I started. I think back about the, uh, uh, the original work we did when we first started the agency over six years ago. If somebody came to me applying for a job and said, you know, here's my portfolio of work, I wouldn't tire them. <laughs> um, so <laughs> uh, I would say, thank you very much. Go, uh, you yeah, know, come back in a couple of years when you've gotten better. <laughs> so, uh, and that's, that's me. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, and six years later, we've got uh, a long track record and and national clients uh, with people that you know, brands that you would all recognize. So, the the worst thing is to not start. It's far worse to not start than to try and be uh, try and be perfect the first time you go out the gate.
0: So you talked about it being a binary thing, either go lo-fi or hi-fi when it comes to the quality of content, but talk to me about volume. Talk to me about whether or not it makes sense to be uh, either all in or not in at all when it comes to the volume of social, because the tendency and the temptation is to dabble and effectively do just enough to say, oh, I tried that and it didn't work. What is kind of the bell curve and the progression of expectations that somebody should have around social media and what would you tell them to know whether or not they're actually going to get a meaningful yield based on what they're willing to commit?
1: So there are two considerations. Uh, One is don't produce content literally for the sake of producing content. You want to produce content to the extent that you can provide value, varying levels of value and and balance this against what we said about, uh, about starting is better than, than not doing it all. But try to always provide some element of value with what you're doing, uh, some element of insight, uh, and don't just blather on endlessly uh, because you think you're supposed to create content. So uh, that changes a little bit industry by industry and person by person. If your brand is that you are an industry leader, a thought leader, then you need to be producing content regularly and you need to be producing Content of high value, which means you're going to be spending time thinking about that, um, yeah, to some extent, and, and putting time into planning and making that a regular part of your operation. You know, at least every week uh, producing something, um, yeah, maybe more often if uh, uh, if your industry has uh, has enough that you can talk about.
0: Pausing on that though, how do I know if I can be a thought leader, Ryan? Yeah, that sounds great, thought leader. Yeah, sign me up, baby. How do I know what has to happen for me to give myself permission to be a thought leader. And I'm using air quotes here. It's an interesting concept just from a chicken and egg type perspective, right?
1: No, it is. Uh, and typically when, that actually, when you actually become a thought leader, it's a, sort of a, a thing where you look back and say, oh, wow, I've kind of I, I've reached this place. Not, uh, not something you necessarily notice at the moment. Uh, that can be a strategic goal. If it does, you're going to have to spend a lot more time uh, making sure that the the content provided is uh, is of a, a super high caliber. How you decide on that is do you ultimately do you have information that other people are going to want to listen to you for? That's that's a highly arbitrary uh, uh, definition. It's not something that I'm qualified necessarily even to say of an individual person in the property management space because that's not our primary client subset.
0: Sure, sure, but what you know what you can comment on the fact. What we both know is that you can cheat, right? The scope of your ambition – Determines your ability to actually speak with authority. If you say, "I want to be the definitive global expert on real estate," and I'm starting on day one in real estate uh, tomorrow, odds of that happening zero percent. Now let's take it from global to U.S. Okay, the viability just went up, although still incredible angle of attack. Let's scale it down to Texas. Let's scale it down to Austin. Let's scale it down to the definitive expert on real estate in the zip code seven eight seven five nine. Now. we're cooking. Now we're talking about a reasonable scope of ambition. So from that regard, that's where I think about the opportunity exists. I don't think that social media represents a meaningful opportunity for people that purely want to use it as a distribution medium. But if you are actually committed to creating a brand that is centered around education, centered around creating value, and you have a reasonable expectation of the scope of what you want to own, maybe it's not – it doesn't have to be your metro. Or if it's your entire metro, it's on a very narrow topic. It's just – uh it's Dallas, but it's Dallas uh, property management Specifically for Asian overseas investors, somehow you have to be able to slice it and dice it to where it is a category you can truly own. Agree?
1: Yeah, no, a hundred percent. If you try to go after everything, you will definitively not be the thought leader in everything, uh, especially if you're starting from uh, starting from scratch. So uh, start with what you do know or can know and can learn, because you can teach other people. Uh, by teaching yourself, frankly, as well. And that's, uh, that's how a lot of content creators actually get started. That's how some of our spinoff businesses have gotten started, is that uh, we had clients that needed a particular service, and so we taught ourselves in order to help them. And then we, in the process, we became experts on that particular market niche. Um, so don't be afraid to teach yourself at the same time that you're teaching other people Uh, as well. uh, That's frankly how a lot of content is
0: produced. Before we go on, I want to mention our show sponsor, the PM Growth Summit, which is happening at the end of January in 2018. If you consider yourself a growth-minded property management entrepreneur, if you're interested in leveling up your sales marketing game, and if you want to go pro and network with other best-in-class entrepreneurs And stay on the bleeding edge of the industry, you need to be at the PM Grow Summit. We truly bring in the best of the best, and you can get your ticket now by going to www.pmgrowsummit.com and using the coupon code Jordan, that's J-O-R-D-A-N, to get $100 off your ticket. See you there. So we've talked about organic. Let's go to the other end of the stream. Let's ditch the long game. Talk to me about the near-term now money. Talk to me about arbitrage. Talk to me about using social for arbitrage, paid ads. Is this viable and realistic for, for small businesses?
1: Absolutely. Um, there's, uh, there are tons of opportunities, especially if you get inventive with your testing and your creative uh, and you want to go after uh, any element that you can. Test Twitter. Test Facebook. Test Google, Bing. Test LinkedIn. Test Snapchat. Test Pandora. Test Hulu. Uh, depending on the, the levels of your uh, your budget, your scope, and timeline, etc. There was a, a a large operation we were part of uh, last year that uh, got a huge uh, drop in cost per acquisition. On Snapchat, which is not thought of as a uh, lead acquisition funnel, uh, but it actually worked exceptionally well and beat some of the other uh, the other channels. It, it didn't uh, scale to incredible proportions, but to the extent it could scale, it was a very low CPA. So, when, once you get into uh, to paid operations, especially at scale, it's all about testing and optimization, iterative cycles don't just say I'm going to do Google and that's it and throw up some ads and forget about it. Uh, that's, it is likely to be a, a highly inefficient use of your dollars. Test, set up acquisition and tracking funnels. So you know tracking across that funnel. You know what stage people are in. You know where each of those uh, people came from and you know where the sources of your ultimate conversions because sometimes you'll get a platform that will convert really well from uh, you know, from the broad list into an unqualified lead, but then just never moves back down from the unqualified lead into a qualified into an opportunity or a sale. Um, so uh, ideally, you set up tracking funnels. Uh, you set up your tracking across your funnel, and you're testing different data sources, different platforms, and different creatives across all of those.
0: Define test, man. Let's keep digging in on this framework. I've heard so many times, I tried it, it didn't work. What do I need to do? What is the true MVP for me to say that I experimented with a given channel? Talk to me about talk to me about dollars. Talk to me about sample set. How do I know that I did enough to either validate or disvalidate that a given channel can work as a lead distribution strategy for my property management business?
1: In testing, you're going to look at obviously at uh, uh, your cost per acquisition. You need to know what your ideal cost is across your funnel um, so that you're actually making money in the end, uh, and then see how close you're getting from the beginning. So if you're, say your your cost per acquisition goal is $100 for a qualified lead, and your initial tests are running at $500 or $1,000, I'm just using arbitrary numbers for the sake of example, Yeah, and you, you run a couple split tests on creatives, and you're hitting $500 to $1,000 Something is massively wrong, and you need to go really wide with any test beyond that. Like completely change your data set. Completely change your platform. Uh, completely change your creative. Don't make tiny changes like changing your colors. And see yeah, from there, if you go really wide and you change an uh, entire data set and you drop it from 500 to 150, you know you're on to to something uh, you know, really close, and you could, you may be able to uh, to whittle that down to the hundred. If you drop it from 500 to 450, you're yeah you know, you're still swinging for the fences. And you need to uh, uh, maybe look at doing something radically different, uh, or uh, it may be that your particular target audience is simply not available online. Which that yeah you know, there are those areas. There are very few, uh, but there there are some. So you're looking at that the relative change in your tests in relationship to your target CPA. In most cases, we're able to tell within about, you know, four to five tests if we're anywhere close.
0: Well, how big is the test? Well, talk, talk to me about the sample set. How many clicks? How many leads? How, how much do I need to invest to say a cycle is really complete?
1: At scale, if somebody said, I want a, a full online operation, I'm going to tell you to uh, look at a, you know, Somewhere between uh, three and ten thousand dollars, and about a month. Um, that's going to depend on this the size of your uh, available audience. If you're looking national versus more targeted, the more targeted you get, the more expensive the leads uh, typically are online for targeting. Anything less than a thousand is, uh, in terms of your your target demographic that you're trying to reach, is is basically unreachable online unless you have them on a, a uh, first party capture. So if they've visited your website or they're on your Facebook page or they're on your email list and they've directly signed up or they've directly visited your site. If you're going out and saying, I'm looking for a list to acquire and I'm going to target them on Facebook or I'm going to target a demographic set on LinkedIn or something like that. If you're under a thousand, it's generally speaking, it's, it's going to be a highly unreliable uh data set to to go after you're just not going to get the reach to get real uh real data targeting at least within a a reasonable time period you know you're going to have to extend a couple months to get get relevant data on your tests you ideally want to hit you know five ten thousand plus in your uh uh, in your target uh, target segment and if you don't get that then you look for other ways of acquiring that data uh, through email lists, through organic that gets people onto your website. And then once they're on your website, you can use pixel targeting uh, or cookie targeting, either one to uh, uh, pixel fire uh, targeting, drops a, a cookie on your, on your browser, and then you can retarget them uh, through AdRoll or Facebook or Google.
0: This is really interesting. Let's, let's start here. So I'm brand new to digital marketing. I hear the opportunity. I want to act. I don't think of myself as having a database, but I do have one thing. I have customers, right? I got 150, 200, 300 customers, and I got I got existing web traffic. How do I translate that into creating a database that I could then use to retarget and find more people like them? What are they? What are the steps involved?
1: Uh, the first thing is always to uh, look at that data and see what you can pull out that's common uh, or most common among them. So look and try and find if say 75% of your decision makers happen to be male over the age of 65 uh, with a net uh, uh, net worth of seven figures plus or you know, what that, that happen to live in a particular demogra- uh, uh, metro area. Uh, look for any kind of commonalities that you can use to limit your, your audience. Um, so you want to get big enough that you can target. You want to get small enough that you're not paying for people who are unlikely targets. Uh your your best case scenario is you can go to a list broker and say uh these are this is particularly my data set. I want to go in the Atlanta, greater metro Atlanta area. I want people who uh own more than one property with a net worth of, you know, 1.5 million plus who uh you know the property value in question is, you know, say multifamily and above as you know, Uh, A couple million dollars as well. You you get some as specific as you can and then shop that around to uh, uh, both on what's targetable on Facebook and LinkedIn out of the box uh, or the platforms and then uh, go to list brokers and, and see what you can find. You always have some information that you can use to limit and start with. Uh, You try to limit as much as you can while still having a large enough relevant data sets to to go after. And if your data set is only 250 people, then probably what we would do is direct mail and phone calls and, and, uh, and direct email outreach. And you start there until you get bigger.
0: Talk to me about direct mail. It's old school. Does it still work? What are the basic elements of executing a direct mail campaign? What are the things people typically do wrong?
1: Yeah, uh, direct mail can work uh, very well. It can also work actually in combination with hyper digital targeting. So yeah, if you can uh, if you can limit, again, with, with this is sort of an equivalent of first party data, uh, we can use IP match targeting. Uh, or cookie-match charting against third-party data sets uh, to mail and feed digital ads to the same set of people. And that, uh, there are case studies showing a lift even in offline conversions if you do that, because people are seeing your brand ahead of time, it's a subconscious association with something they already know it's just like general name id then they get hit with a specific ask and mail so
0: well let's make sure we didn't lose anybody from a from a human perspective as a consumer walk me through like the, the experience that i'm having that relates to what you just said about connecting the online and offline there
1: yeah so if uh if somebody walks up to you and uh, off the street and says hey i'm from abc i'm john smith from abc company and i want to sell you a new roof or whatever it is, if you've never heard of ABC Company before, if you've never seen their name around, you've not seen advertisements or heard other people who've used them, Yeah, there's a bigger hill to climb psychologically in the sales process than if somebody goes, oh, yeah, I know ABC Company. And uh, I, there's already at least a minimum threshold that's been met versus who are you, You know, I've got to look you up online to make sure you're not scamming me. So the digital ads allow you to uh, uh, to prime that pump a little bit so even if it's just subconsciously where they could say uh, associate the brand that they're being hit up with direct mail on at least with having seen that brand before so if they've seen it before, there's a level of tra- at least a minimum level of trust that's been uh, that's been associated with it Now, you go all the way to the other extreme and anything that coca-cola uh, puts out anything that Apple puts out, anything that Google puts out, immediately has a, a massive level of trust associated with it. That's the that's the far other end of the spectrum. What we're talking about is at least just getting over that basic hump of somebody having heard of you before. Uh, which uh, if they've even just done that, it makes the introduction, the sales process a lot easier. Uh, because there's a minimum level of trust uh, associated with having heard of somebody before. So uh, what you're doing with the digital ads is trying to get past that first hump by the time you're getting the more expensive uh, media like, uh, like direct mail in their hands with a specific ask. Uh, so if they've already heard of ABC, you're like, oh, yeah, hey, I've, I think I've seen that online somewhere. I've seen their name around. I wonder if, I, yeah, I, I, let me look at this. Uh, I'm going to at least spend a few extra seconds looking and reading at the piece of mail. Uh, you're statistically more likely to read because of the psychology of having heard of them beforehand.
0: How, no, how do I connect the two? How do I connect the physical address with the di- digital identity via a pixel or a cookie?
1: Um, so that's done through third-party data sets. None of this in the digital world is 100% science. It's constantly moving because people... Uh, people move houses, they have different office than they, than they do uh, uh, their home address, etc. So this is really a caveat that this is on a, a level of, of um, uh, you know, a percentage of accuracy. But uh, that's continually getting better, especially as we're uh, cross-applying. What we're essentially doing is cross-applying third-party data that's known about you. So uh, when you submit a, uh, for credit applications and all kinds of things, there are tons of organizations that track you. Um, across uh, uh, lots of other places. So phone numbers uh, and, your, and your phone address, that often gets sold to third-party data companies. Amazon, um, so a ton of people have Amazon accounts online. Um, I, whenever you uh, send something, you're mailing a, a package yourself. You're not going to send somebody the wrong address. So Amazon, for instance, has a pretty accurate data set on a vast uh, vast number of Americans, especially um, and they have also an associated cookie on your, or, uh, or IP address on both on your phones and on your computers. So they'll connect those two, uh, say that this person at this address is connected to this phone or this computer, uh, and then they sell that uh, in bulk to third party data providers. Uh, most people don't realize how many people do this. Every free app on your phone, um, most of the, not I shouldn't say every most free apps on your phone are selling your data, your location data, um, your uh, your email address, your phone ID, all of that to third party data providers. It's how they make uh, make some of their money. So all of that's become available to us, and there are companies that associate those together and allow us then to track that. Facebook is one of the biggest. Uh, Amazon is another another huge one. Um, and uh, and we can push those out through uh, through third-party data providers that we have access to, especially as a digital agency, uh, to place ads in front of very specific targeted groups of people.
0: What does my list contain for them to make the bridge? Am I bringing the physical address, the email address, the name? What do I need to have as the starting point in in order for them to make the bridge?
1: Uh, As much as possible uh, to increase the level of accuracy of the targeted data set, Um, ideally, First name, last name, address, that's that's always a starting point. Email address, even just email address alone is also a great one because of so many other services that will connect third-party data to email addresses. Um, Phone numbers are also a possibility because anything that you have uh, that's accurate in and of itself, you can run what's called a reverse append on or or just a data append. So we can go to a third-party data broker and say, I have this phone number and I have this email address. Or I have this email address and I have this name. I want to. I want you to append whatever you can uh, for their addresses, for their phone numbers, for their age, their their ethnicity, their uh, buying habits, whether they bought a car in the last year. Um, I mean, there are there are hundreds of data points that you can add to this. Um, so you do a, a data append to flesh that out, uh, and then you can use that uh, that that broader list to go target online. Um, so. As much as you can, as much as you have available, but uh, ideally at least either a first, last and address or, uh, or a list of email addresses.
0: Oh man, we're getting some juicy stuff here, Ryan. Here's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about, is this enterprise level tech, blah, 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 pixels, tracking, totally irrelevant? I just need to hammer the phone book. Or is this something that small businesses can utilize? And I think it's option B. Here's why. Let's say I only manage 300 doors, but I've been in business for a while. The problem is I haven't been thinking about this in the context of building a database. I've just been thinking of leads. And in that transient mindset, what that means is that I've lost out on the opportunity to track and build out a long list of people that I could append date on, use to match with other people. But if I was to go back over the five years that I've been in business, collect and scour every person that could have been in my database, maybe I come up with a thousand names. Maybe it's 2000 names. A lot of those are folks that are qualified, but for whatever reason, weren't ready to buy at the time. So that's opportunity one, mining your own data that you're throwing in the garbage. I run a company that provides CRM services for property management companies. On on occasion, I'll get a painful email of somebody saying, hey, uh, my lead list is kind of clouded because I've got a lot of old leads in there. Can you just delete them all so I don't have... As I, you know so it 's easier for me to see what 's fresh and what 's new. Just delete my leads from the last two years because I only want to see the last leads from the last thirty days and and the old leads are just dead right i mean that 's the kind of mindset that I deal with on a day to day basis but this is opportunity one: collect all your old data and go market to those. People opportunity two though is to take all that data and then find more people like them. So let's say I go through step one. I I go back. I scrape all the history of leads I've ever got. I build out my two thousand person, three thousand person database. How do I go find ten thousand more people like them and advertise to them online?
1: Yeah. Uh, so there are there is the the quick and easy way, and then there's the more precise, more targeted way. Um, The the quickest, easiest way to do that uh, is to go to a list broker and say, um, yeah, match this against likely audiences or uh, to upload it to Facebook. Facebook has a great data matching uh, service that's part of their ad platform and say, create what what they call a lookalike audience and Facebook will take that data and say, based on all of the hundreds and thousands of other things that we know about hundreds of millions of people, uh, we will create we will generate a list for you of people that that uh, are highly similar to this list that you uploaded. That's a quick and easy way to do it. Um, the uh, uh, the more targeted uh, way to do that over time and uh, 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 with slightly more effort, which is the the way I would recommend doing it uh, is to do a lot more analysis of that list, get re- get an append on it, uh, about a lot of other uh, data points, um, buying habits, uh, net worth, age, ethnicity, location, go get, a, it's, it's a few pennies per record, typically depending on how much data you're getting, it's fairly cheap, especially when you're talking about only a couple thousand people, um, uh, and you will learn a ton about your, uh, uh, your target audience or, or your available uh, uh, list of qualified leads. Uh, and then take that, analyze it, say, I know that you know, X number, 75% of my list is this demographic, and 75% of my list is this demographic. Uh, and then go back to your list broker and say, I want another 5,000 people that fit these categories uh, that are female, 35 to 55, this net worth or this kind of uh, land ownership, etc. cetera. Um, so do some analysis on that list, figure out who those people are, and then find other people that fit that same category uh, that, that created the qualified leads in the first place.
0: So if you did all that and now you're firing up your ad campaign, would you focus on the immediate conversion, i.e. an ad that's trying to get you to immediately click and submit a contact form? Or would you focus on the long-term conversion, i.e. paying for likes, paying for people to engage with content that hopefully has some kind of a uh, educational opt-in behind it?
1: Uh, Definitely the latter because uh, especially if these people have not heard of you before, you need to create a relationship. Uh, So rather than going straight to, hey, uh, let me manage your seven-figure property or maybe it's less than that. It doesn't matter. It's still a a big ask to go from I've never heard of you to here are the keys to my second home that I'm renting out or my uh, my apartment complex. Um, So uh, uh, create a relationship, create a conversation with the lowest possible opt-in that you can. So do anything that you can, give away – a piece of information, give away a white paper that you've created that's, uh, again, very low cost. It's uh, just your research, your time to create something like that. Um, Give away a free, uh, maybe a a free analysis. So tell somebody, I will give you um, you a 20 minute conversation, uh, analysis of your property and what you should be making or what you should be doing differently than what you're doing right now. Find something that you can either give away for free or that you can give away anonymously uh, or semi-anonymously because they're giving you their, their email address to get their contact information to figure out who these people are that are, uh, to, that are moving them down the funnel from unqualified, uh, not even a lead at that point, just a, a potential, into, the, uh, into anywhere in your funnel. So uh, give something away. Uh, Or uh, provide value in some way that somebody wants to give their contact information to you and start a conversation.
0: Man, you are making me work, Ryan. First, I got to get collect all my data to get this list. Then I got to advertise to these people. Then I got to actually get them to give me their email address. But now what? Because that's not enough. We both know that's not enough. What do I still have to do to take this opportunity all the way home if I get them to actually submit their email and give me permission to contact them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it depends on what that uh, that thing that you're giving away is. If it's the consultation, you have them on the phone, uh, and then you, you move into the sales side of uh, directions. You already have the conversation going. You need to figure uh, figure out the next step. Lead lead naturally off of what they tell you. Um and uh, schedule a schedule a follow up, or ask them uh, ask them for follow up. Start sending them a, a, what we call a drip campaign, which is uh, you, yeah, the next day they get a canned email that you've produced once and sends to uh, send to everybody. That uh, that's a, a follow up from that consultation. Then three days later they get another one and provide value with, you, with each of those. So you're continuing the conversation. Get the, uh, escalate the ask. From that time, uh, whatever your ask is the first time, escalate it the second time uh, with this trip campaign. Move it up a notch. Ask them for just a little more commitment. Uh, ask them if you if you gave them a, a white paper, ask them for a consultation or a time uh, 10 minutes on the phone um, or ask them for, uh, to sign up for another white paper or a recurring series of informational emails so that you become an expert in their mind and when they look to uh to outsource the management of their property or switch vendors that you're top of their uh top of their mind. This is definitely playing the long game in most cases. This is not like cold call sales where you're trying to make the sale today. You're building a relationship, you're building rapport, you're building a reputation with these people through largely scalable uh low-cost, um, uh, low-cost and low effort Actions over time. Once you've set it up, the first site's a lot of effort to set it up. Once you do, it's, it gives you recurring value over and over and over. Um, but you're playing the long game. You're playing the, the game of building a relationship, building a conversation, being on the top of their mind and uh, being there so that when the opportunity for an actual close comes up, you are right there to make the sale.
0: I want to go ahead and move to the rapid fire section of the interview where we just quickly go through some questions and I just want some guttural answers from you, Ryan. My first question from you is when it comes to sales and marketing, who have you learned from? Who's had the biggest impact on your development in that area?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, a couple we've talked about already. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk has been influential. Um, uh, Seth Godin has had a couple concepts that I've really learned from. Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great, great. probably the single most influential business book on me as an entrepreneur. Um, Highly, highly recommend that book. I'm thinking of Noah Kagan, actually, who's a local Austinite as well, like myself. I've run into him a few times, had dinner with him. Great guy, super scrappy entrepreneur. I appreciate uh, a lot of what he's done. Um, especially on the, the small business side. Um, you know, the other one, which I want to toss out, might be a, a, uh, not, a, not a traditional uh, like large, uh, large name, uh, but you actually, uh, and what I mean by that is uh, both, both you individually, uh, Jordan, and in our conversations over the last uh, close to a decade and uh, what we've learned together as entrepreneurs, but the experience shared through small groups of entrepreneurs who are roughly in the same stage of growth in their business uh, is both important because you can share insights uh, but it's also important because it keeps your energy and enthusiasm for learning up, uh, up to par so um, yeah, other people who are you know, it, uh, either mentors and so who have gone before you or people in roughly the same stage who are learning also and you can get excited with it uh, about what they're learning and, and they can get excited about what you're learning it keeps you engaged
0: love it Totally agree with you. Our relationship which to some degree has been kind of like a mini mastermind going back and forth, tracking at the same level has been hugely instrumental for me as well. The next question I have for you is take me back to day one and tell me what you would do different. If Ryan with all of the current knowledge that he has was to go back and be reincarnated into the body of Ryan 10 years ago, what's just the obvious thing that you would do differently with hindsight being twenty twenty?
1: Oh man, there are a couple things. Um, one is uh, is I would manage your, the emotional roller coaster better, just because it's a, it's inevitable that you have wins. It's inevitable that you have uh, have losses, and sometimes there are huge wins and huge losses. It may go back to back, and so you can uh, be all over the place. So learn to expect that there are going to be wins, and learn to expect that there are going to be losses, and don't let either. Yeah, you know, think that you're uh, make you think you're a rock star when you win because you're gonna fail again and, and uh, come back down to earth, uh, or uh, or think that you're an utter failure uh, when you fail because you you will do both. So um, learn to uh, expect those earlier. Number one, number two uh, is uh, is pay attention to business model and and signals of uh, uh, of quality or future success or failure. So what I mean by that is uh, my my first company. Uh, was importing uh, custom equestrian equipment from uh, from another country from South America and it was a, a phenomenal learning experience, but it was utterly a, a failure for me, partially because I didn't pay attention to the business model. Uh, I didn't really know at that time I didn't really understand what a business model was. So uh, understand fundamentally, Uh, what are the keys to success or failure in your business? Uh, Understand uh, what you can systematize, what you cannot. uh, What you can systematize, invest in early, what you cannot um, uh, know that you have to accommodate and have a plan to accommodate that uh, or mitigate it and focus on the things that you can systematize and uh, create a regular cadence for. Um, And understand uh, as a result of that business model you know, what you rely on, what your projections are going to be, and, and be realistic about that. Um, there's a huge, huge learning curve around uh, business models for for me.
0: Really thoughtful answer. And this is coming out of the mouth of a guy that has started many, many businesses. I mean, there have been times where you told me that you start a new business, and I just wanted to reach through the phone and tell you, don't do it. But you have pressed, you have pressed on. You've taken the focus of focusing on at-bats and just putting yourself an opportunity to succeed by not being trapped into one opportunity, but pivoting, iterating, iterating, which I love about you. Final question for today, are entrepreneurs born or bred?
1: That is, uh, that's a little bit of a chicken or the egg. I think that there are some people who are naturally inclined to the entrepreneurial world or there are Uh, They're born with certain proclivities that make entrepreneurship easier or more difficult. Uh, But I've met entrepreneurs who are complete introverts who are successful. I've met entrepreneurs who are complete extroverts who are completely successful. Uh, I've I've met people who are risk prone, people who are risk averse. Uh, There are there are many, many different shapes and sizes of entrepreneurs. You can learn. A lot of what you need to be an entrepreneur if you're willing to put in the work and stick with it and continually learn about yourself and about your industry um, yeah, your individual proclivities and care and uh, personality may make that harder than it is for other people may make it easier than it is for other people you have to work you have to learn you have to put in your 10,000 hours before you're gonna become an expert and you have to be willing to know uh, that you're going to put in 10,000 hours before you're going to get that. Um, as long as you're willing to do that, you can achieve some some level of success as an as an entrepreneur. Like many things, uh, like uh, Michael Jordan was the, you know, arguably the best basketball player in in history. There's some other recent ones who might give him a run for his money on that, but uh, he was even as the best net natural player on his team. He was the first to show up to practice and the last to leave, and he practiced on the weekends. So both and
0: let's sum it up as talent is not enough which is a great book, by the way. Go check it out. Ryan, thanks for coming on the show today. If folks want to connect, want to read more about what you're doing and your work in the digital space, where could they go to do that?
1: Uh, they could go to uh, one of uh, two websites, uh, com, which is our digital agency. It's V as in Victor, I, C as in cat, imediagroup.com, or to viralmediapartners.com, uh, Partners. Viralmediapartners. which is our publisher services and software company.
0: Thanks again for coming on, Ryan. We're wishing you much success.
1: Absolutely. Thanks a lot, man.